The calls for a ceasefire are outrageous. It was just a few weeks ago that Speaker Mike Johnson denounced a ceasefire while flanked by top Democrats in Congress. There are few issues in Washington that could so easily bring together leaders of both parties in both chambers. This particular bipartisan gathering felt ill-advised to many on the left, but Semaphore reporter David Weigel says it should not have come as a surprise. No, that was the most normal in terms of the last 50 years of American politics I could imagine. It was actually a throwback to when there wasn't really daylight between the parties on Israel. It had the appearance of unity at a moment when there is less unanimity around support for Israel politically than any time I can remember covering. The war is 50 days old this week, and today Explained has taken stock of how the politics around Israel and Palestine have shifted in the United States. Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For a minute now, today explained, we wanted to talk about how this war between Israel and Hamas has been dividing the American left. David Weigel has been reporting on just that for Semaphore, where he's a national political reporter. We started at the top with Joe Biden. I asked him if the president's response differs from president's past. I mean, it really doesn't. Let there be no doubt. The United States has Israel's back. And this is where a lot of the president's problems with younger Democrats and critics of Israel come in. Israel's under attack, and he responds not that much differently than uh, Richard Nixon did during the Yom Kippur War, which is, we support Israel, they're our ally. As I told congressional leaders during the 1973 Yom Kippur War, no American president will let Israel go down the tube, Democrat or Republican, it's not an issue. So October 7th, there's a burst of outrage at Hamas for the massacres they carry out. That weekend, there's a rally in New York and Times Square. Hundreds of demonstrators standing in solidarity with Palestine, taking over the crossroads of the world. To organizers of this rally, the attack on Israel was justified resistance. We're here to say that uh, occupied people have a right to resist the, their occupation. Democratic Socialists of America's New York chapter endorses the rally, but doesn't organize it. Inside the Democratic Party, there's a sort of antibody response where any Democrat who associates themselves with those protests is pilloried, is, is accused of supporting anti-Semitism, is associated with the craziest view out there of Israel. You saw the governor of New York, you saw leading Democrats, people who are going to be probably at the head of the party for quite a while, 
condemning this and saying that this is anti-Semitism. Governor Hochul yesterday called the planned pro-Palestinian rally morally repugnant. Younger Democrats see Israel as an apartheid state because they've seen a attempted a peace process from Barack Obama be undermined by a pro-Trump Israeli government. What you see as the war continues is some of those pre-war dynamics reasserting themselves. And by middle of November, most Democrats say, yeah, I don't want my country to be giving unlimited support to Israel no matter what they do. Tell me about where exactly the divisions are. So who specifically is sort of breaking away from Joe Biden and maybe even other moderate Democrats? The most obvious people doing this in Congress are members of the squad. And this is the four female Democrats who get elected in 2018. A few more Democrats who are elected in 2020 and 2022, but a very small beachhead of left-wing Democratic politicians inside the House, not really inside the Senate. You actually see a division uh, in the first few days of the war between what those Democrats are demanding. They're calling pretty early for a full ceasefire, not continuing conflict until Israel wipes out Hamas, which they say is their goal, but a ceasefire contradictory to the Netanyahu policy. Ceasefire means release the hostages. All the hostages. Ceasefire means stop the bombardment now. You see other Democrats like Bernie Sanders, who's really influential, the John the Baptist of the squad, really, coming before (laughs) them and helping them get elected. He doesn't even do that. But you see within days after that, Sanders and a few other Democrats, some of whom surprise people like Dick Durbin, saying, all right, no, I don't think we should, as Democrats as a country, be supporting whatever this government does. Israel has a right to defend itself. But what Israel does not, in my view, have a right to do is to kill thousands and thousands of innocent men, women and children who had nothing to do with that attack. As they see footage coming in from Gaza, as they see reports of children in hospitals being starved, civilian casualties, uh, there are incidents, for example, like reporting that a hospital was blown up by Israeli missiles that is then contested. Rashida Tlaib, a Detroit Democrat, Detroit and Dearborn, really, Democrat, advances that and is censured by the House for it. The resolution is adopted. she sticks to her gun, she gets censured, and she she gains, not to everything she said, but on the quest for a ceasefire, they're adding people uh, day by day. I mean, you have a few dozen House Democrats who've called for a ceasefire. That is a minority. But I think the significance here is, one, that's a lot of Democrats criticizing Israel in wartime. That is rare. Uh, the second part is, according to polling, they're with the base. I mean, uh, I and I, I covered some protests where people were pretty explicit about this. They would cite polling. There was one protest, the DNC, where there are people shining lights on the building that just show the poll numbers. Hmm. When you ask people if they want a ceasefire without Israel's conditions, like 80 percent of Democrats say yes. I mean, Ipsos Reuters polls the most recent that backs that up. Representative, Representative do you support a ceasefire? you support a ceasefire? I'm an American Jew and I'm asking you, do you support a ceasefire? For a lot of these Democrats, it's clear that their constituents in the Democratic base are not as interested in, un- in reflexive Israel support as they are. But it is important to discredit their opponents and say these people are crazy. These people are anti-Semitic. These people are dangerous. This is where the division, I think, gets a lot nastier. 
while this is happening, with fewer protests, they're getting a lot of blowback from Arab Americans who think that what Biden is doing, and they knew he was pro-Israel when he won the Arab American vote in 2020, what he's doing is offensive to them, is murderous. They said that we had to save America from Donald Trump, and now we feel that we have to save Palestine from Joe Biden. You see the term genocide Joe being thrown around to attack Biden. That's what you're seeing eating away at Democratic support is both some stuff from far left activists, many of them are Jewish themselves, and then some from Arab American Democrats who say, I can't possibly support a president, not that they'll support Trump. I can't possibly go out and support a president who's, if he's reelected, is just going to do whatever Netanyahu says. And these few dozen Democrats who are supportive of a ceasefire, who do want to see a real shift in this war and are pushing for it in Congress, are they facing repercussions from the moderates or the staunchly pro-Israel factions? The large groups I've been talking about, APEC, which is the Israel lobby in America, Democratic Majority for Israel, which is founded more recently and works in primaries to defeat left-wing Democrats, especially through Israel critics, both of those groups are very clear early on that they are going to continue working to beat Democrats who are critics of Israel. And within a few, really within days, but it becomes a little more clear at the end of October, there is an effort to find a candidate who can beat Tlaib. There's an effort to su support one candidate who can beat Ilhan Omar. There's an effort to beat Jabal Bowman in New York and Cori Bush in Missouri. So three or four of the most prominent Israel critics in the Congress, how do we beat them? And they're not hiding this. It's not like a trap they're going to spring later. They're saying pretty clearly, we want candidates to run against these people. In a couple of cases, they have them. How much of this is a generational divide within the party? Is it just young versus old or is there something more going on here? Well, young and old explains much of it for basic reasons. If you are born after 1973, and that's most Americans. You don't know Israel as a tiny democracy in the Middle East that needs American protection. You know it as a powerful country with wealth comparable to a Western European country with a strong military that never loses. Maybe you can get ambushed and surprised, but it doesn't lose wars. So you ask, OK, why is my government supporting this? And there's been the search for reasons among a lot of pro-Israel Democrats. What could have done this to our younger voters? How did our young voters grow up and become Israel critics? There's a lot of blame put on college. Okay, college is very liberal and uh, college is progressive. People are taught to be anti-colonial. That's some of it. I think in the intelligentsia of the left, uh, everything that they say about this is true. Uh, that, yes, there are people who have transposed their anti-colonial, anti-settler thinking and said, I'm against the Zionist state for this reason. But this is across uh, the education gap. Post-Iraq, there is a lot of skepticism. Why is America spending all this money, not just on foreign aid, but foreign aid in the Middle East in particular? Where is this going? What is the point of, of doing all this? And what is the point in doing it when we're not as vulnerable as we were in the 1970s to OPEC and to oil shocks. For a lot of Americans, the answer is, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't care. <laughs> like, why, why, are, why is either party so reflexively supportive of this? That's kind of the question asked by, I'd say, Democrats across educational lines under 40. Also, just younger voters generally who are very, very skeptical of this. And in the Democratic Party, we have young, we have old, and then we have really old, namely Joe Biden, who himself is older than Israel. Where exactly is he now, considering the state of affairs in his party? He doesn't comment a lot, from day to day on 
critics inside the party. He has not been baited into criticizing the left the way that APEC is. What Biden wants, and he says, and he's interrupted by a Jewish voice refuse activist at a fundraiser, is he wants a humanitarian pause, which is we pause the conflict, we release hostages. When the hostages are released and tensions decline, maybe we can de-escalate the conflict. At no point does he say whatever Netanyahu wants. There is American pressure on ending hostilities as soon as possible, but it's in the context of support for Israel and sympathy for Israel and sympathy for the people killed on October 7th by Hamas. It sounds like a very subtle difference. I think in some ways it is. But to activists and younger Democrats, it's so clear to them morally that anything but demanding an immediate ceasefire and liberation for Palestinians is effectively genocide, that this is unacceptable. This is what he struggled to navigate. He just doesn't have a party base that agrees we should take pains to protect Israel as we try to end the war. Their position is, why? Why do they get this treatment? Why are we treating them any differently than another country that has some sort of internal population that doesn't have full democratic rights? Or in the case of Gaza, the ability to leave the Gaza Strip freely. Why are we doing that? And that's not something Biden can answer. That's something that explains why he starts angering so much of the base. We'll talk with David about the American right when we're back on Today Explained. Support for Today Explained comes from Mint Mobile, the only cell phone that tastes good. When the deal is too good to be true, there's probably a catch, right? That incredibly cheap flight to Europe? You probably can't bring a bag or pick your seat or use the restroom. So when I tell you that Mint Mobile offers wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably wondering, what's the catch? Well, according to Mint Mobile, there is no catch. According to Mint Mobile, it's only 15 bucks a month and their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explain. That is mintmobile.com slash explain. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explain. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint mobile for details. Support for the show already comes from Delete Me. Your personal information is online. So is mine. I don't think I'm breaking any news by saying that, but you might be surprised to know just how much of your information is available not only for people to see, but to sell as well. And that's where Delete Me comes in. Delete Me wants to help you keep things such as your name, number, home address, and other private information out of the hands of data brokers. I've never personally kept my information out of the hands of data brokers, but perhaps Vox's business team's Claire White has. Removing the data that Delete Me found was super easy because I didn't have to do anything. They already removed my information across sites that they deemed as unsafe. 
I truly did not have to lift a finger. You can take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me now at a special discount for our listeners. You can get 20% off your Delete Me plan today when you go to joindeletemecom slash today and use the promo code today at checkout. Again, you can get 20% off by going to joindeletemecom slash today and enter the code TODAY at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash today. The code is TODAY. Support for Today Explained comes from Quince. It's spring, which means it's time to shed that enormous puffer jacket and don some more sunshine-appropriate attire. In that case, you may want to check out Quince. Quince offers springtime pieces like 100% organic cotton gauze, tiered maxi dresses, and 100% European linen blazers. I really want to currently Google organic cotton gauze tiered maxi dresses. In the meantime, here's here's Claire White from, from our business team here at Vox. Everything I've received is incredibly comfortable, and the quality was really surprising. After now receiving this first batch, I feel like... I can trust that the quality is going to be good across the board. I googled the dresses. There's there's all kinds. I've seen those dresses. You can indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash explain for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash explain to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash explain. Today explained back with David Weigel from Semfor. We've talked about this divide, this sort of schism on the left and all the factions involved and how complicated that mess is. I imagine this looks a lot less messy on the right. Yes, that's a good way to put it. On the right, so <laughs> it's always easier to be out of power in some ways. You can say, as Senator Tom Cotton from Arkansas said, this wouldn't happen if Trump was president. It wasn't on President Trump's watch that Iran unleashed its proxy, Hamas, uh, to slaughter Jews in Israel. The easiest, clearest position they can take is that Joe Biden's weak. If a war breaks out, that is because he's weak. That is because of the decisions he made that, that invited this weakness. I think it is very hard to trace Biden's decisions on Israel to, to that. But, you know, you've got a script. You're going to stick to it. The differences between the candidates for president I think are significant in, in, in showing how Republicans promised to be more reflexively pro-Israel if elected, as Trump was. I mean, Trump recognized the Golan Heights. In a moment, I will sign a presidential proclamation recognizing Israel's sovereign right over the Golan Heights. Trump moves the U.S. Embassy in uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. For I have determined that it is time to officially recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. I am also directing the State Department to begin preparation to move the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Like Trump basically does everything Israel wants and Trump says out loud as he likes to do. I can't imagine how anybody who's Jewish or anybody who loves Israel, and frankly, the evangelicals love just love Israel. I can't imagine anybody voting Democrat so that's Trump's position. That has not changed. The people who are running against him, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley being like the most relevant at this point, uh, they want to go further. They will fully support Israel, but they want to be clear that 
Palestinians should never get foreign aid. We need to make sure no taxpayer dollars go to any Palestinian entities or any UN entities that support Hamas. You also have them criticize Trump from the right by saying he's too critical of Benjamin Netanyahu. He was not prepared and Israel was not prepared. And under Trump, they wouldn't have had to be prepared. Look at what we did for them. One of Trump's 2024 rivals, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, firing back with his toughest criticism yet of the frontrunner. Now is not the time to be attacking our ally. Trump has a habit of kind of bloodlessly assessing another player in the world and saying whether they're smart or not. Trump says the Hezbollah is smart. And then two nights ago, I read all of Biden's security people. Can you imagine national defense people? And they said, gee, I hope Hezbollah doesn't attack from the north because that's the most vulnerable spot. I said, wait a minute. You know, Hezbollah is very smart. They're all very smart. You don't go and compliment any of them because what that does is that makes America look weak. I don't think the Republican base cares, not just my, my view. I mean, I've seen polls since then. Republican voters don't see Trump's comments as insulting to Israel. It is a very pro-Israel party. Uh, it is a very anti-Palestinian party in the conservative commentary infrastructure. Uh, you know, one of the most influential figures is Ben Shapiro, who talked about the Palestinians as animals. The, the phrase Palestinians has trafficked on the right for a long time. On the right, it just there's no danger in saying, I support Israel. I don't care what happens to Palestinians. I mean, and you see that not to get too far from the presidential field, you see that in Florida. Florida is a you know state with a Jewish population that votes overwhelmingly Democratic, a uh, Christian evangelical population that's very pro-Israel. And you see you know, on the floor of the Florida legislature, a Democrat rhetorically asking, We are at 10,000 dead Palestinians. How many will be enough? And a Republican rhetorically, I guess, rhetorically answering, Wow. One of my colleagues said all of them. Mm, that's the space that Republicans are operating in. And like I said, there's a little bit of skepticism of this in the new right, in the nationalist right. There's a little bit of the why are we supporting them attitude. There's a little bit of, um, you know, frankly, anti-Semitic opposition to Israel's existence. Not in the the world of primary voters. That's not very relevant in among the people who will be nominating uh, the party's nominee. Okay, so we're talking about, you know, the presidential candidates. We're talking about the base. What about, you know, somewhere in between those two is Republicans in, in Congress. How has this played out on the Hill? Let's let's establish, as much as we've been talking about America, let's establish that the most important thing uh, affecting, uh, as far as Israel is concerned right now, is probably not whether members of Congress say nice things about it. But most of the legislation, <laughs> I should say resolutions that have passed over the last month or were introduced on this have been just condemning the attacks and then attacking Democrats who won't condemn the attacks, uh, passing funding with a poison pill Democrats support and then attacking Democrats for not supporting it. And the National Republican Congressional Committee, uh, after the House passes Israel funding that would cut the IRS to pay for it, um, immediately is out attacking Democrats as you know anti-Israel, anti-Semites if they don't support it. There is more interest, just if I could speak cynically, in using this as an issue to divide Democrats than in unifying the country around one response. Uh, so not a lot has happened in Congress apart from political kayfabe. Although we know that Republicans in Congress are are very skeptical of Ukraine aid, how has that played out with Israel aid? Is it a totally different story? Yeah. So again, the, the Biden position here is America needs to support uh, Israel in its war against Hamas. It needs to support Ukraine in its war against against Russia. Um, for a lot of Republicans, 
it's very clear. Um, if if there is a zero sum amount of, of aid we should be giving out, including a zero sum amount of uh, military ordnance, bullets, etc., it should be going to defend Israel, not to not to defend Ukraine. Um, that's not again unanimous in the party, but that's the evolving Republican position is that. America's first priority is its own self-defense, defending its own border. Its second priority is defending Israel. There, that's the end of the list. There's not really a, a, a priority in defending Ukraine right now. Why are Republicans so unified on this issue? What's behind that? A lot. So a lot of it is a sense that it, Israelis are the good guys. Uh, if I can be like direct about it, it, it is. Uh, now there there are Jews in the Republican Party, not that many. Most support for Israel is driven by believing Christians, uh, pro-Zionist Christians, who believe that Israel is uh, it won its territory. It is a good steward of the Middle East. It is a democracy, no matter how Palestinians within the country are treated, and it's just not a hard call for them. Please join me in praying for the safety and security of the people of Israel. We will lift up their warriors and leaders in prayer, wrap our hearts around the bereaved, and ensure that our leaders in Washington know that there is no room for equivocation or daylight between America and Israel. You mentioned that the sort of the schism on the left has cast some shadow over Joe Biden's presidential re-election bid. Do you think that what we've seen in the past 50 days and what might be coming in the next 50 could have lasting implications for our election, for our politics at home, which the presidential election, I guess, is now finally less than a year away. Will people still remember all of the protests in the streets and the various fights in Congress and the various fights over funding, whatever it might be? Well, there's been a conversation on the left that I find a little tedious about, hey, if you're saying that you're going to boycott voting for genocide joe you're effectively voting for trump the other side of this will point out the election is 11 months away a year away um this is the time to say this policy needs to change or we won't vote for you and so it's unclear how much of that's going to stick i think overall though and if you talk to peace activists uh jewish for peace if not now etc their theory of what might happen here, I think, has been borne out in the first month of the conflict. Uh, I talked to them early in October around this period where they're being condemned for having the audacity to have rallies where people said crazy things. Um, their thought was, we're going to get a lot of blowback right now. Uh, and they were. But as this war continues, people are going to look at the images from Israel and recalculate. I think they were correct that that happened. Each time there is a there is a conflict, this they're all different. There are different um, different level of military strength, different leaders, etc. Um, each time this happens, I feel like there is a de- you see it decline in reflexive support for Israel. You can see less patience for the Israeli position um, every time a conflict breaks out, and especially as this conflict uh, lasted over over October and November. You saw that fade, and in ways that I think are it will take a couple years to play out. That's David Weigel, 
readem at semaphore.com. Our show today was produced by Abishai Artsy and Isabel Angel. They had help from Matthew Collette, Laura Bullard, Siona Petros, and Patrick Boyd. I'm Sean Ramos for them. This is Today Explained. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.